Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. How are we doing this morning? Good. Um, this is week eight, as Steve said. Do you ever just have to, like, prepare your space? Like, I don't I don't know if you're OCD at all. I think I have a touch of that. But um, Week 8, humbling ourselves. Here's what I want to talk about. Can you read that? Putting others first. Um, can I just start by saying what I think we're all thinking? And I'm, I don't claim to be a mind reader, but when it comes to this idea of putting others first, I think I know how we tend to respond to that. And maybe it's something like this. I have so many people to care for now. I have so many things on my plate to do now. I have so many cares and concerns and burdens on my heart now as it is, I have a full schedule. I have a family. I have responsibilities. I have a honey-do list waiting for me at home. Not to mention all the things I'd like to get to someday, like my hopes and my dreams and my bucket list and the callings and the things that I believe God has placed on my heart that I want to get to at some point in life. How am I ever going to put others first? How, do, do I just drop everything on my plate so that I can serve other people? I remember uh, growing up. Do you remember growing up? Um, you look back over life stages, and I'm, I'm not that far into life, and I have very limited life experiences, but I remember back in high school, so many conversations with my parents about how busy I am. I don't have time to do chores, mom and dad. Like, come on, I'm in high school. I have to go to class. I have to do my homework. I have to be on the basketball team. I have to go to youth group because that... You guys tell me I have to go to youth group, so that's on my schedule as well. And I have a girlfriend, too, so, like, life is busy. And then you get to the summer job, right? And you realize that your uh, digital alarm clock that sits on your bedside table, it has numbers before 6 a.m. Do you remember when you realized that? That you could set your alarm for 5 a.m. and be up and be at work for 6 a.m. Like, that was just mind-blowing to me. And I'm so busy. And then you get to college, and you pick up all your books on that first day. Do you remember what that was like? And you carry this stack back to your dorm room and you put them on your shelf and you're thinking, I have to read all these, or at least the majority of them. And then you go to class and you get your syllabus and you get all your assignments for the semester right off the bat. And it's like, oh boy, I, I gotta get to work right now to get all these things done. And then on top of that, there's sports and social life and helping out at the local church youth groups when you're in college and then and then you get married. And it's like, oh boy. And Elsie and I are both working full-time jobs and I have my day off, but she's working. And then I have my day on, but she has her day off. And then it's like, man, life is busy. And we have to do our own laundry. <laughs> and, then, and then you look back over that and you just laugh, right? Because then you have kids. 
And in that first 10 days, I just wanted to call my parents every hour and say, how did you do this? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there ever going to be a point in life where this thing won't need me every moment of every day? Like, is there ever an off-season? Like, is there ever a... And it just gets busier and busier and busier. But life's like that, isn't it? And it's almost like there's, there's a carrot dangling in front of your face of like your limit of what you're able to give and what you're able to do and how much you're able to care and how many people you're able to care for and how many things you're able to fit on your schedule and how many things you're able to accommodate under your budget and how, many, how much can I do? And sometimes we hit that limit, don't we? Or we don't keep the healthy balance. Or we don't take care of some of the necessities in our life and we overspend and we get burned and then we pull away, we back off, we retreat, we hide. Maybe cynicism creeps in, maybe a jaded heart takes over and then we stop trusting. We stop expecting people to do things without something in return. We stop giving, we stop serving, we stop loving because I've been there, I've tried that. That was a season in my life. Man, there was a time every night of the week we used to, do you remember when? But now, now it's, you know, that was... That was before. I was talking to some, some of our life group leaders this morning, and they were talking about all the news that they're getting from the people they care for and all the people who are on their prayer list and all the concerns and burden. We all have concerns and burdens on our heart, don't we? We all have stuff on our plate. We all have things on our mind. And then the pastor gets up and says, put others first. I, I feel like sitting down there and listening to this sermon. <laughs> this, this does not come naturally to me at all. I have to, I have to work hard if I am going to put other people first. So where are you? Does hearing this phrase, putting others first, does that just make you sick to your stomach? Does that just make you to think, oh yeah, sure, I'll just give some more. I'll just serve somebody else. I'll just, you know, what does that mean practically? Does, does it seem like an ideal that, we're, that, we're, that we can never reach, like that carrot on the front of the stick? I keep saying carrot, and then I see a banana sitting in the back row, and I want to say banana, but... Um, like, like, is it just this impossible target that Jesus exemplified that we're just never going to reach, that we're all at varying degrees of failure on. So um, instead of telling you to put others first, I want to give you three reasons of why you need to put others first. Because I, I don't think you really need to know who, because you've already got a big list of who's, I don't think you need to know what, because you've already got a big list of what's. I think you're probably, like me, struggling with how and why. So that's what I want to talk about. Three reasons to put others first. Here's reason number one. Because God has gifted you. God has gifted you to do so. God's gifted you. Do you, do you feel gifted this morning? Just say that to yourself. I am gifted. Nobody said it. Nobody believes it. Do you believe it? That you're gifted this morning? Just say it. Say it under your breath. I am gifted. Did that just feel weird to say? 
All right, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Paul says to the church in Rome, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Let's talk about this for a moment. Um, Each one of us has a gift, and we're going to touch on that. But gift in and of itself, in its definition, is something that we didn't earn, we don't deserve it's freely given. It's a grace from God. Grace given to me, it's, it's, it's a gift. Paul says it of himself. But then look at this. We're not to think more highly than we ought to think of ourselves, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each of us has a measure of faith that God has assigned, that God has given each one of us. For as in one body, we have many members, hands, feet, I mean, there's kneecaps, aren't those funny? And the members do not all have the same function, thank goodness. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. This is a term referring to the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers. We are the body of Christ, his hands and feet to do his work, his will. Individually, we are members of one another. Do you remember back to our conversations on justice? How we owe our fellow man, how we are responsible for our fellow man, that we're not just islands unto our own, we're not islands in the stream, we belong to each other, we care for each other. Continuing on, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Why does he even need to say that? Like if you have a superpower, wouldn't, wouldn't you be running around like showing it, look what I can do. Let us use them. Each one of us has a gift that differs according to the grace that God has given us. So here's the thing. This totally eradicates pride. Because if you truly feel that you are gifted and you have something special, you are, I am something special, well then the fact that it's a gift points back to the gift giver, right? And you have to give glory to God for that gift. If you thank me for a good sermon at the door, I have to say praise God because pfft, not me. But, but then on the other hand, we can't be saying, oh, woe is me. What do I have to contribute? What do I have to do? This, this false sense of humiliating humility like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Oh, why bother? You know, his deep voice. Each one of us has a different gift. Each one of us is gifted, and it looks different from the person sitting next to you, but God has gifted you. You have a gift, a spiritual gift, in proportion to our faith. Verse 7, if service, then in serving. For the one who teaches in his teaching, for the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, which one of those gifts is for the person who has the gift? It, it kind of seems to me like each, each of these verbs, each of these terms is others-focused, right? It's God gifts us, the Holy Spirit gifts us. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and the power of the Holy Spirit enables us with a spiritual gift or gifts, it's for the building up of the body of Christ. It's for 
serving in the local church. It's for serving the body. The function that you serve as a member of the body serves the whole body. You serve in the local church and serve to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your gift is to serve in the body of Christ and through the local church to the rest of the world. That's why you have a gift. God has gifted you to do so, to serve other people. Struggling with this microphone this morning. I don't typically wear earrings, so it just, you know, it feels weird every Sunday putting it on. Um, do you realize God made you? God created you. God built you for a purpose. God formed you in your mother's womb. Psalm says, intricately woven. He's built you for a purpose, for a plan, for a calling, unique to your unique design. God has designed you. God has gifted you. He hasn't just given you abilities and natural capacities like, hey, you're pretty good at that. No, the Holy Spirit, when you trust Jesus Christ, empowers you with spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. You are gifted. Maybe your gift is hospitality. Maybe your gift is shepherding, caring. Maybe your gift is generosity and, and you just always see a need and have a desire to fill that need. Maybe it's discernment. You are gifted. You're gifted. And we are a body. We're members of one another. We certainly have a responsibility to our fellow man. I, I love the picture of the body because we all have one, right? We can all relate. Now, what if the heart said, you know what? I've been pumping blood through this abnormally long torso all the way down to these big size 13 feet for 32 years now and then pumping it back up and what thanks do I get? I just get the dirty leftovers and I got to clean them and then I got to pump them back down. I get no thanks for it. 32 years now, it's time for some self-care. It's time for me to focus on me. I'm going to take a little vacation. Hopefully your heart doesn't say that, because if it does, nice knowing you. You know what makes me sad? Um, when uh, schools were closed and we were having school at home, we tried to get the kids out as much as possible because mom and dad were going crazy. So we go on these hikes through the woods and come out to a blueberry field uh, where we live in DeBert. And along the edge of this blueberry field, there's all sorts of cool old things. Like there's this old tractor with the little angled wheels in the front. I don't know anything about tractors. Then there's all this farm equipment. There's this I want to say a, a furrow. It's got all those discs that churn up the soil, you know. Then there's a trailer. And then there's this cool old car. And I don't know what make it is. I don't know what model it is. It's totally rusted out. It's, it's covered in forest and creatures. And there's trees growing right up through it. There's no, there's no glass in the whole thing. There's holes through the roof. But you can tell that it was a cool car. Like, it's just got those fenders that just kind of bubble up off the front. And then it's got this big cab that kind of dips back into this, like, boat tail design. And I don't know anything about old cars, but this looks like it was a cool old car. And now look at it. It's just, like, forgotten. The woods has taken it over. I don't know how well you can see that, but it's just like it, it was forgotten. I don't know what you want to say. It, it retired. It was done its time, so it just parked and it's been forgotten. It's just a mess in the woods. But originally, all these things were built for a purpose, to serve a function, 
with a, with a unique gift set to support the farmer, to support the work of the blueberry field, to support, you know, how many families did this drive around? Maybe it was originally built for speed. <laughs> Maybe it was originally built for luxury. And now it's just parked, rotting, just, just a waste of scrap metal. You've been gifted. You're built for a purpose. You're not left to rot. You're not called to park in the garage. What a shame it is to have an incredible gift and not use it. God has designed you to serve his people. You have a function. You have a role. God has individually gifted us so that we can make a worthwhile contribution to others, so that we can serve in the local church and through the local church evangelize the world, the greatest mission on earth, and you have been gifted to do so. And that's why we need to put others first. God didn't give you the air in your lungs, the knowledge in your brain, the desire in your heart, the calling on your soul so that you could just eat, drink, and be Murray. He gifted you to serve his church. He gifted you to reach the lost. You have a gift. Are you using it? Do you know what your gift is? I'm sure we can steer you towards a spiritual gifts test. There's many out there. But you know a better thing you can do? Talk to somebody who loves you, who also loves Jesus, and ask them, what's my spiritual gift? Where do you see the Holy Spirit working through me? What function do you see me serving in the local church and therefore reaching the world and reaching the lost? What's my spiritual gift? Maybe if you're writing down takeaways today, ask somebody what your spiritual gift is, your mentor in the faith, a parent, a friend, a close colleague, somebody in your life group. What is my spiritual gift? What is the role that I am to be playing in Christ's church by the power of the Holy Spirit? Here's point number two which also means we're like half done. Because, reason for putting others first, because God cares for you. Now I know what you're thinking. What does that have to do with anything, right? Putting others first. Why do, why do I need to know that God cares for me? What does that have to do anything? Well, here's my thought. In studying and researching this whole concept of putting others first, it doesn't take long to realize that this is a uniquely Christian value that is losing its luster in modern society. Um, I, I can't cite how many websites, YouTube videos, podcasts actually spoke against the idea of putting others first, which kind of shocked me initially. How could we say that that's not a value we want to hold to in 2021, putting others first? Like what happened to the golden rule? What happened to preferring one another? They mention uh, religion, these articles, these videos. They, they rarely quote the Bible verse or any of Jesus' teachings, but they will cite the safety demonstration when you get on the flight. You know what I'm talking about? The flight attendant stands, stands up front, the video plays, they're showing you how to put on the life jacket. Um, but then, then they say... Uh, in the case of an emergency, oxygen masks will drop from overhead. You grab the mask, you know how they do that thing. They show you how you pull it to yourself, and then you take it, and then you pull the elastic, and you put it over your head. And, and then it says, make sure to secure your own mask before assisting someone else. Because 
right? What could happen? You're with your child, you don't put yours on first, and you breathe in whatever harmful, and then you, you're incapacitated. You can't help, you're not doing any good if you don't help yourself first, and then help the person next to you that needs help. That just makes sense in that situation, right? doesn't make sense for the poor dude who has to sit next to the door and in case of emergency, you have to stay on the door and let everybody else out first. Well, that's kind of the opposite. But um, Then modern media talks about the perceived long-term effects. If you do put others first, if you do practice what we're talking about, it has long-term detrimental effects to your mental health, to your emotional, physical health, to your work-life balance, to your own goals, your own priorities, the things you want to accomplish in life, it's detrimental. So do we balk at that? Do we just say that, you know what, society is just, they're just so weak these days. They just need to toughen up like the old days, right? Rub some dirt on it, get on with it. Is that what we do? Is that a response? Here's, here's the big thought in this conversation. If you care for everyone else, who cares for you? If, if all you do is prioritize other people, then who prioritizes you? If you give and give and give and give, at some point that tank runs empty, who refuels that tank? If I'm the pastor and I just preach and counsel and give advice, then who's preaching and counseling and giving advice to me? If I'm, if I'm the single mother caring for the kids, holding down the job, paying the rent, putting food on the table, taking care of all these things, who cares for me? If I'm the business owner and I'm short-staffed just like the rest of the world is short-staffed and we can't cover this weekend or that weekend, so I'm going to double time, I'm going to triple time, I'm going to try and be kind to the people who did actually show up and who cares for me? If I care for everybody else, who cares for me? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves. That's what we're talking about, humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, at the right time, at the fitting time, at the perfect time, which is only according to his time, he may exalt you. You know what that means? He's going to lift you Verse 7, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Beautiful verse. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. There are Christians around the world who are suffering, like really suffering, like not just you losing some of the privileges and conveniences and rights and freedoms that we are so accustomed to here in Atlantic Canada, but they are really, really suffering. Verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, which has to be part of the story because we live in a sin-cursed world, if this life was perfect, then what's the point of heaven? What's the point of a savior coming? After we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
I think in modern society, we've bought into a lie. We've been deceived. We've tricked ourselves. We've been duped into thinking, I care for me. I have my best interests in heart. If I'm going to be the healthiest, best version of myself, then the best thing I can do is discover who I truly am on the inside and be true to that. I am the one who cares for myself. And we put buzzwords on it, don't we? Self-care, self-love, self-help section in the library. You've been to there recently? Or maybe we can keep going. Self-sufficiency, self-serving, self-centered. Is that... Is that rubbing you the wrong way? But who really cares for us? And we know the Sunday school answer, Jesus, God. God cares for us. But think about it. I don't care for me. It's not that I don't like myself. There's a lot of days where I don't like myself. But I, I don't care for me. Most of the struggles in my life are self-imposed. Do you realize that? I did it to myself. And it's simple things like I ate all that junk food before bed. I had a terrible night's sleep and that's why I'm grumpy today. I did it to myself. I was showing off to the teenagers in the youth group when I was the chaperone on the ski hill and I hit the jump and I hurt my shoulder and I had to do six weeks of physio. I did it to myself. I was the one who forgot my water bottle on the four-hour bike ride and got heat stroke this summer and threw up on the side of the highway. I did it to myself. But then it gets a little more serious. I spoke without thinking and hurt someone that I loved. I did it to myself. I allowed that bitter root to take hold and a fence to form in my heart. I did it to myself. I allowed those thoughts. I held on to those feelings. It was me. I don't care for me. In fact, I'm responsible for most of my issues. I'm often the one causing myself the pain. Did you ever watch HGTV and watch like uh, Vacation Bargain House Hunters, International House Hunters? You know, we're just going to get away from it all. We're just going to leave all our troubles behind. We're going to buy this really nice condo at an affordable price out there on the beach. And we're going to live in Spain for a year. It's going to be such a great experience for our kids. There's nothing wrong necessarily with those things. That can be great. I love the beach. I love warm weather. But guess what follows you along to the other side of the world? You do. And guess who causes most of the pain in your life? You do. Guess who has caused me the most pain in my life? Me. And if I'm going to self-care or take, or take some me time, you know what that's going to do? That's going to give me more time with me and my issues, my problems. But it sounds so good on a surface level, right? The world says you just need some self-care. You know what? You just, you just need to put yourself first right now. Have you heard that? Just take a vacation, a shopping spree. Treat yourself, Right? Once you're healthy, then you can serve. Once you've taken care of you, then you can help someone else. Once you take time to recover 
and conquer your struggle, then you can help somebody who's trying to conquer their struggle. Once you've helped yourself, then you can help someone else. Put, put the mask on yourself and then assist the person next to you who needs help. And that sounds so good, but you know what? It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And here's what I'm not saying. I don't want you to go through this week and not wash your hair or cut your nails or brush your teeth or eat healthy meals or get a good night's sleep or dress yourself. Take care of yourself, okay? Do, do the necessities, right? Take care of the needs that you have on a daily basis, right? Don't skip all of your normal self-hygiene, self-taking care of self things that you do on a daily basis. Does that make sense? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if this were the case, if you had to get things figured out in your own life and be at a level of health where then you can serve everybody else because, hey, I figured it out, I'm high on the horse. Let's get these people who are low on the totem pole down here and then, and then I'll serve them because I'm up here, I've already figured that out. You know what? If that's the case, I, I should just go sit down. If, if we need to wait until we've figured it out before we can help someone else, let me tell you a little secret. Ain't no one coming to help you. Nobody's coming. You're all on your own. If you need to figure out everything before you help somebody else, nobody's, nobody's coming to help you. We're all in varying degrees of tired, stressed, busy, behind, confused, can I, can I just give you a little helpful something? When you're, when you're talking to somebody, don't, don't suggest that they, because I've got so much on my plate. Do you know what? Everybody's got something on their plate. Do you realize that? Just think about that Good Samaritan for a moment. We've talked about the Good Samaritan. We've probably, I've probably talked about him too much in this series, but just think about that Good Samaritan. Thank goodness he had nothing else to do that day, right? Thank goodness he was just out for a Sunday walk, he and his donkey, and they were just out enjoying the day. Not a care in the world, not a burden in their heart, no place to be, no people waiting for them at home, no job to do, no task list. You know, they were just, good thing they were so free, so that when they came across that poor, naked, beaten, robbed man, they could say, hey, this is great. I wasn't doing anything anyway. You can hop on my donkey, which there's nothing on my donkey, you know, I don't have any family carrying on, on my donkey. I, I don't have any work or business on my donkey. I don't have any of my own stuff on my... It's totally clean because, you know, we're just going for a walk because that's what people do with their donkey, right? They just walk it down the sidewalk. So thank goodness he had no place to be. Thank goodness he had no plans for that money that he used to pay the innkeeper and the extra money that he gave him for the next however much more medical treatment that poor guy needed. Thank goodness he had no use for that band-aid or that ointment that he gave him to take care of him. Thank goodness. I, I don't think people like that exist. You know what I have heard? After you retire, you get busier. You ever met a guy who's recently retired? <laughs> He's picked up a bunch of hobbies, a bunch of to-dos. He's traveling around helping everybody else out with their project, and he's busy, busy, busy. 
Look at the verse here. That's right, we read a verse. Let's get back to the verse here. Um, your adversary, the devil, he wants to consume you. He wants to devour you. That's not good. There's people around the world who are experiencing intense suffering for the cause of Christ. That's tough. Everybody has a varying degree of difficulty on their plate at any given time in life. But I love what Paul says to the church in Rome. The mighty hand of God. This isn't a hand of justice. This isn't a hand of oppression. God's not crushing you. His hand is there ready to pick you up at the right time, to raise you up, to lift you up. So you can throw all of your cares and anxieties. You know what anxiety means? It means you're being pulled apart and it's the tension between the two. Here's what I believe. Here's what I've got to do. And stress, tension. And Paul says, throw it on God because he cares for you. You know what the whole idea of throwing is? I'm trying to teach my kids this. When your hand gets at the right point, you got to let go. You got to drop it. You got to take your hands off of it. You no longer take care of it. It's God who cares for you. And then look at these incredible words here towards the end. He himself will restore. Some versions say perfect. It's the Greek term katartizo, and it means to bring all the pieces together and fit them together. And then look at this last word here. Uh, establish, strengthen, confirm. Actually, I want to talk about confirm. I think it is. You know what confirm means? It means he's going to hold you together. So not only does he bring all the pieces and fit them together, but then he's the one that holds it all together. Do you ever feel like you're just holding it together? Well, you're not really the one holding it together. God is the one who's holding it together. He's brought all the pieces together. Strengthen. And this doesn't just mean giving you muscles so that you can look in the mirror and flex and feel good about yourself. It means strengthen so that you can be mobilized. Strengthen so that you can do something give you the spiritual gifts so that you can use it. You can exercise it for the building up of the body of Christ. He's going to strengthen you so that you can do it. And then establish. That means he's going to give you a firm foundation on which to stand, on which to move, on which to run. He's going to ground you. So who takes care of you? Can I suggest that God is the best one to take care of you. And then maybe this whole modern idea in society of us taking care of ourselves is maybe a bad idea. Because I don't know about you, but if I isolate myself and I'm left to myself, I get myself in trouble. Okay, we got to move on. Point number three. Three reasons for putting others first. Because God has gifted you to do so, to serve somebody, to put somebody else first for the building up of the body of Christ, for the evangelization of the world. Because God cares for you. If you care for everybody else, who's going to care for you? Well, God's going to care for you, and he's the best one for the job. And then finally, because Jesus put us first. Here's what I love about God. He doesn't just present us with this totally impossible, idyllic task that he knows we'll never be able to do. He says, look, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to step down. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to demonstrate it. And then I'm going to give you the power to do the same. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself times an infinite amount. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. 
This is where we want to land today. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Some translations say vain conceit. I like that. But in humility, that's what we're talking about. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, and there is merit in looking to some of your own interests. Take care of yourself, okay? Don't spend the whole week in sweatpants and don't do anything of your necessary. Don't, don't skip out on work. Don't, like, do the basics, okay? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, C.S. Lewis has this great quote, and when I started thinking about this topic, Steve thought about the same thing. This this quote came to mind. C.S. Lewis says, true humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Have you heard that? It's not thinking less about yourself, like, oh, I'm just the worst, I'm just pitiful, I'm just a... It's thinking about yourself less, and the implication being thinking more about the interests of others. Thinking about yourself less, thinking about others more. Paul is writing these things from prison, by the way, in case you didn't make that connection from the book of Philippians. So he's probably got some stuff on his plate, doesn't he? Wouldn't you think he'd be the one saying, could you send me a letter? I'm here in prison, isolated. I don't get to go see my family, my friends, my whatever. And instead, he's choosing to serve them from prison. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. I preached on this this past summer or spring. It was in the Mission Critical series. You remember that? We said attitude is critical to the mission. This is the Jesus attitude. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He was God. He didn't need to fight for it. He didn't need to prove himself. He is God. Jesus is God. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We refer to this theologically as Jesus giving up the independent use of his divine powers and subjecting himself to humanity for the time that he was here on earth. When he was hungry, he didn't just flick his fingers and eat a piece of bread. When he was tired, he didn't just flick his hands and have a nice king-sized bed to lay down in. He gave up the independent use of his divine powers and subjected himself to humanity. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, if you could become even more humble than becoming the thing that you created, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We'll finish this off here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Because Christ humbled himself to the point of death, therefore God has highly exalted him, which God says he will do for you. He will raise you up. He will exalt you in due time. Exalted him and given him the name above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gave up the independent use of his divine powers. He became fully man, while still being fully God. Uh, Steve points out in the devotionals this week that the Last Supper mimics the self-humbling of Jesus Christ. When, When Jesus steps down from the throne, he steps out of heaven. It's like when he's at the Last Supper, he leaves his chair. 
And when he gives up the independent use of his divine powers, it's like when he takes off his cloak and he girds himself with a towel. And then when he steps down in the form of humanity and he becomes a servant even to the point of death, it's like when Jesus steps down and he washes the disciples' feet. One of the lowest jobs of the lowest servant in the household would be to wash the feet. And Jesus sets an example for them that they should do likewise. Serving. God loved us so much that Jesus was willing to become one of us. And not just that, but to be born on the outskirts of town where nobody knew, not just that, but to serve, to wash feet, to feed the hungry, to touch the marginalized and the outcast. Not just that, but to be betrayed by friends to be falsely accused, to be spat on, to have his beard pulled, to be whipped, to be stabbed, to be crucified naked on a cross. He humbled himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus cared about the need of humanity so much so that he was willing to give up his very life to purchase our redemption. And this this hymn, this song, this, this poem, this anthem, this climax of the book of Philippians that Paul is pointing out to us, it's written as an example. Paul says, this is yours in Christ Jesus. You need to put others first because that's what Jesus did for you, for me, for the world, for your neighbor across the street that you don't think you have time to talk to, for the coworker who sits across from you, for the classmate. Jesus gave up everything for them, for you, for me. When we declare that he's the savior, when we, when we bow our knee and confess with our tongue and worship Jesus Christ, the Lord and savior, the name above all names, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, you know what we are saying? It's all about him. It's not about me. The world doesn't revolve around me. It's not necessarily about what's on my plate. It's about what he did to pay for all of the crud on my plate, in my life, in my heart. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. Jesus willingly became one of us. He experienced all the joy, the pain, the struggle. and He experienced it for us. He died for us. He chose to do it. He wasn't forced. It was his choice. He willingly put us first out of love. It's a choice. Now, each of these passages talks directly about humility, and that's what we're talking about, humbling ourselves, putting others first. But, but there's another tie between all of these passages that are really like, and I want to point it out. Do you see it? You got Romans chapter 12, which we talked about, 1 Peter 5, Philippians chapter 2. We've gone through each of these passages lightly. Think, think, think. Sober judgment, sober-minded. That means, that means clear and right judgment and clear thinking. Knowing, have this mind. This, this is a mindset. This is a way of thinking. This, this is learned behavior. This is reorientating our focus, our attention. This needs, this needs to translate into the default setting in your brain. Do you remember how long it took your parents to teach you, no, you hold your door for your sister. No, 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 no. You don't, you got to share. No, you don't take the biggest piece of cake. No, no, no. You don't rush to the front of the line. It, it takes a long time, and it's a mindset. It's something that just needs to be second nature when we think, when we bow our head to pray, 
the names of other people, the cares and burdens of other people, the situations of other people, maybe that should be what floods in before our own. When we run to the shed to grab a tool, we should be thinking, what are all the other projects that other people have to deal with now who don't have the time and opportunity and ability and op- that I do? Maybe when we deposit that check in the bank, our first thought needs to be, who really needs some help right now? Who comes to mind? Are there people on your to-do list? Or is it just, just your tasks? Are there other people in your schedule? Or only the ones who contribute to what you want to accomplish by the end of the week? Are other people in your mind and on your heart? Because that's what God has gifted us to do. To love him and to love people. This fulfills the law, Jesus said. And don't worry about your needs. If God clothes the lilies of the field in beauty and splendor so that they're arrayed so much more than even King Solomon in his glory, does he not care so much more about you? If he cares for the sparrow, is he not going to feed you? He has every number on your head. He has every hair on your head numbered. What is worry going to accomplish for you? You can't add an hour to the span of your life. It's in God's hands. Do you need an example? Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the glory of God. Maybe that's the problem today. We we haven't understood who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us and what he's calling us to do for other people and for the glory of God. I pray that if you've never taken the time to understand what Jesus has truly done for you in your place, in humility, suffering, serving, and dying on the cross to pay for your sins, I pray you'd think about that today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. There's no better day than today. If this idea of putting others first seems so foreign and so another language to you, then Maybe we need to take some time and think about what Jesus has actually done for us and what Jesus actually calls us to do and what this life is actually all about. I want to close there this morning. We're going to bow in a word of prayer as we close. Father God, many of us feel like there's so much on our plate these days. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that you're the one who truly cares for us. Thank you that You put others first. You have so many other things on your plate. Your your plate is just so much infinitely larger than ours. But you stepped out of heaven. You humbled yourself. You died on the cross to pay for our sins, to secure our new life, our freedom in Christ. And then you've gifted us with spiritual gifts so that we can build up the body of Christ, so that we can serve in our local church. And through the local church, we can reach our community We can reach the world with the gospel message of Christ. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are to us today. Help us to put others first. Help us to practice this mindset. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.